Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. I am going to get right into the message that I, I have the opportunity, the privilege, and the, <laughs> the scary responsibility of sharing with you. And uh, I have kind of a, I have a, a, a challenging message today. We've been doing a lot of those lately. How many of you noticed we've been doing a lot of very challenging messages recently? Yeah, yeah well, we're going to do another one today. Uh, we are almost done with the series we've been doing called Foundation. If you're new here, we've been talking about our foundational beliefs as Christians. What do we believe? What do we embrace as the truth? And today we're going to talk about the last day, the resurrection, the judgment, and eternal reward. We have a belief in our church, it's belief number 12 in our series of belief, Grace Harvest Church Belief, and this is what it says. It says, all people will be raised from the dead and rewarded or judged one day, excuse me, at the last day. We believe in the bodily resurrection of the dead in the last day, the righteous to a resurrection with Christ, and the unbelieving to a resurrection of judgment. We believe in eternal separation from God as the final destiny of the unbeliever and the new heavens, new earth, and new Jerusalem as the final reward and destiny for the believer. I told you at the beginning that this was going to be a hard word. And, you know, as I prepare a message like this, I'm, I'm really wrestling with God because I think that there are a lot of people that talk about heaven and hell and talk about, you know, damnation, and, and they do it in a way that I believe is misrepresentative of Jesus Christ. Like, I'll see memes sometimes that people will post on social media. It'd be like, you know, heaven is real, hell is hot, that's the gospel, repent. And I'm like, no, that's not the gospel. Because it sounds like people are celebrating something that's really serious. And so, I'm going to share with you from the scripture today. I'm going to do my very best, as I said, to not get in the way. And I just want you, you know, I'm going to let the scripture do most of the talking because as we look at what the Bible has to say about the subject, we're faced with this reality, and that is that the Bible has a lot to say about eternal judgment and eternal reward. The scripture has a lot to say about what happens when we die. And we've got to face that reality. We can't deny it, but we also have to as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ, do all we can to ensure that as many people as possible join us in eternity. Do I need to say that again? We need to do all we can as believers to ensure that as many people as possible join us in eternity. Amen. I think that's a good, good point. My starting point today, and this is the, the first point, point number one if you're a note taker, is that God really wants all to be saved, to be rescued from the power of sin and death, and to know the truth. God wants all to be saved and know the truth. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. Powerful text of Scripture. It says, This is good, and it pleases God our Savior, who wants everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. What we see here is that God's heart for humanity is love. God so loved the world that He gave His Son to save us. The problem is that we are rebels who most often reject his love and his kindness. Even so, God takes no pleasure in seeing people reject him. 
He takes no pleasure that people experience judgment and eternal separation. Recently, while I was reading the Scripture, reading through the Old Testament, in my own private time with God and observing over and over again the evil and rebellious ways in which people treated God, I, uh, and, and treated him, turned from him, rejected his prophets. He would send prophets over and over again. They would plead with the nation of Israel, plead with Judah over and over again. Quit worshiping idols. Quit sacrificing your children to idols. Quit doing all these evil things. Quit running from God, and these prophets would appeal to them. And instead, they'd kill the prophets and reject God, and they'd run from God over and over again. And as I was reading this, I, I went out of my time one morning, and I, I walked over to my wife, and I said, I feel really sad for God. I feel sad for God. As I'm reading the scripture right now, I'm burdened with this idea that a God who loves us so much, who gave us a beautiful world, who clothed it not only with what we need, he's not only utilitarian, he didn't just give us what we need, but he clothed it with beauty, he clothed it with abundance, he, he worked and weaved all, of through cre- all through creation, his art, his colors, his textures, his flavors, his scents. He gave us a world that is abounding with him. Everything around us screams and yells, I love you. And we rejected it and walked away from it. And our fall and our sin twisted and distorted and broke it. Yet he loves us. And I felt bad for him. I I felt bad and sad for God. I felt like I felt his heart at that moment. Ezekiel 33:11 makes it very clear that God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Look at this, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. Turn Turn from your wickedness, O people of Israel. Why should you die. If that doesn't demonstrate the heart of God, I don't know what does. You know, sometimes we talk about God and we talk about destruction and we talk about death as though God's, you know, up there in heaven and he's got his lightning bolt and he's just waiting for you, for me, for them out there to screw up so he can make a grease spot of them on the asphalt. We talk about God as though he's taking pleasure in the death and the damnation and the destruction and the things going on in our world. And when, when natural disasters happen, he gets the blame. When human beings start wars and kill one another, God gets the blame. In our insurance policies, we have a little place called Acts of God. I mean, does he get bad press all the time or what? Most of the pain, not all of it, but most of the pain that goes on on planet earth is the result of what we do to one another. And we say all the time that we believe in free will, but we don't believe in free will if something tragic happens to someone we love and God didn't stop it. But the reality is if we're gonna believe in free will, he can't intervene in every situation. He won't intervene because he has to let people live out their choices and face the consequences of it. The second point today is that all people will be raised from the dead in the last day. This is a very clear biblical teaching. 
John chapter 5, verses 28 and 29, Jesus is speaking. He says this, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. It's pretty clear. The righteous will come out of the tombs to a resurrection with Christ. When Jesus rose from the dead, he provided the pattern for our future and our destiny. We will all rise again and receive eternal, indestructible bodies to live with Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit forever. I mean, Philippians 3, verses 20 and 21 in the New Living Translation says this, and I think, oh, we do have the right translation here, so look at this with me. For we are, but we are citizens of heaven, speaking of believers, where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. He will take our weak, mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own, using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. So, you know, I don't know about you, but I'm pretty excited about a new body. Anybody else in this room uh, looking forward to a new body? Now, if you're in your 20s or 30s right now, or if you're a teenager, you're like, I kind of like my body. Uh, that day will pass. I, you know, I, I have always loved playing sports growing up, and I, I played a lot of sports, and, and uh, I was decent at basketball, and I played football. I know you're like, you played football? Yes, I played football, and I ran track, and, and uh, I, I, I played all kinds of different things. Anyway, and I was a pretty decent athlete, not, not fantastic, not great, but I was a good athlete, you know, if I do say so myself, you know. And, uh, you know, so then a number of years ago, of course, we had a church league team, and I played on the church league team, and I did okay, and, and then, you know, some years passed, and, and uh, in fact, just a few years ago, uh, Davey started a, a, a basketball group over at the Alliance Church, and we were using their gym, and we were going over there on, what, Thursday nights and Tuesday nights, we were playing hoops, and I played twice. <laughs> and uh, in, in the first game, I pulled something. I mean, something all around this whole area <laughs> got pulled, and it took a year for that thing to heal. And I went and I played the second time, and I could tell something was really wrong when I tried to move laterally. And when I moved laterally, something went, ouch. I also, in my mind's eye, saw myself dribbling the ball, moving toward the hoop, and jumping in the air, and floating, and doing a finger roll, <laughs> except when I jumped, nothing happened. It's like, and then the bummer was the landing, because what goes up must come down, and even though I didn't go up very high, and I used to have hops, you might not believe it, but this white boy could jump, but not anymore, and when I landed, all of the shock absorption went away, and I was like, okay, I can't hang with the young guys anymore, I'm done, took me about a year to recover. And I say all that to say I am looking forward to a new body. It also says in this text, though, that the unbelieving will have a resurrection of judgment. And so something mysterious is going to happen where God raises everybody. He raises those who love him and follow him and those who don't. And then he judges them. Their resurrection will be that they will face God and they will face their judgment for what they have done or not done. Which takes me to my next point, and that is that those who reject Jesus will be judged with eternal separation from God. Now, I don't share this 
with any relish at all. This is a reality that is really difficult to face. But the scripture's clear. I mean, let's look at one text. Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15. Look at it with me. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and one seated on it. Earth and heaven fled from his presence, and no place was found for them. Now, I just want you to think about a being who is so glorious, all-consuming fire, passion, light, and he is so holy and amazing that earth and heaven flee from him. That's the God whom we serve. And I think that's important because I'll hear people like, Jesus is my homeboy and the big man upstairs. And I'm like, stop that. Yeah, he's Abba Father. Yes, he loves you. Yes, you can approach him in Christ. Yes, he wants us to learn to have a conversational daily relationship with him. But let's not cross the line and treat God as though he's some other bro across the room. He's not. He's God and he's holy. And we need to recognize that he's holy and that our God is a consuming fire. Amen? Back to the text, verse 12. I also saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works by what was written in the books. Then the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. Each one was judged according to their works. Death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Wow. So let's look at this. Those who reject Jesus. Whatever of Jesus is revealed to a person, be it in creation, conscience, or through the proclaimed gospel is what a person is responsible for. And this is a hard teaching, I admit it, but I didn't come up with it. God is merciful, loving, and just, but we are not. Right? And so, so let's not, you know, we, we think, people talk sometimes like everyone's going to be in heaven. Everyone's going to be with God. But I'm like, I, I don't know about you, but when I watch the news, I see a lot of evil in our world. And it's not just them. The scripture indicates that the same evil that we see in our world runs right through our own hearts. Right? So we all need the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, let me address something that regularly comes up. People will say, well, so what are you saying? Are you saying that this God of love supposedly, this is how I'll hear people frame it, this God of love supposedly is going to damn people to hell who've never heard about Jesus, who've never had an opportunity to receive him, and people on the other side of the world, way up in the mountains, been Buddhists their whole life, been Muslims their whole life, been Hindus their whole life, followed some form of animism or spiritism. We, God's going to reject all them? No. No. Let me tell you what's going to happen. God has been revealing himself in creation. Romans chapter 1 makes it clear that, that none of us will stand before him with any excuse, we will all be without excuse because God has weaved his nature, his character, and his son into all of creation. And so Jesus is seen everywhere. He's seen in sacrifice. He's seen in love. He's seen in the animal kingdom. He's, seen, he's, he's literally put himself in the heavens and the stars. Psalm, I think it's 19, says day unto day utters speech. The, the, the stars, the moon, the sun all speak of him. But then on top of that, he has given us conscience. So before that conscience gets distorted, before it gets seared by our 
denying of it and, and not listening to it, every one of us inherently know. We see that in nature there are laws. There is the law of natural, natural laws that tell us about God. They tell us what's right and what's wrong. They show us what's just and unjust. We know when we see and experience and feel evil, we see it. We know it in our own heart and we see it and we know it from someone else. We recognize it. All of us know it and that is the conscience within us. And over time, we often decide that I don't want to listen to that voice. I don't want to listen to it because it's telling me what I'm doing is wrong or it's telling me to do something proactive and I won't do it. And so we deny it and we deny it and the scripture says what happens is it becomes seared as with a hot iron and it loses its ability to feel, right? But so God has revealed himself in nature, in creation. He's revealed himself in, his, in our conscience and he's revealed himself through the preaching of Jesus Christ. Now quickly, I know, I have to say it, I know that the problem many times with the message of Jesus is us. And I know that all through history, people have denied the reality of God because God's people really made him look bad. Even in the Old Testament, the Lord said of, of the Jews that because of them and the way they act, the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles all day long. And you could bring that to us because of the way Christians are. What did Mahatma Gandhi said? He said, you know, I love your Jesus, but not his people. So we have to take responsibility for that, but that still doesn't let people off the hook. Every person that stands before God is going to stand before God and be judged based upon whatever knowledge they were given. And so if it's just a tiny sliver of that reality, that's what they'll be judged, not be judged upon, not what they didn't know or didn't hear. And God is going to be just and merciful and kind. And a lot of us are going to be super shocked and surprised at kind of who's a part and who's not. But let's not miss the fact, the reality, that there's going to be a judgment. There's going to be a judgment. And as I said, those who reject Jesus will be judged with eternal separation from God. And what does that mean? Well, let's make this clear, first of all. One thing to make clear about the view of, of hell or eternal judgment is that it is a chosen state of being. The people who are eternally judged by God and deserve, will deserve and belong in whatever state they find themselves. God's dwelling will be filled with selfless love and adoration of Him. The people separated from the presence of God will not love God or others. As C.S. Lewis says, hell is locked from the inside. Think about that. The other reality is that hell and eternal judgment exist to keep evil out of God's new heavens and earth. Those outside and outer darkness will belong there and will not be able to ruin or bring a second fall into God's holy creation. The damned would only fit in a place that reflects their character and nature. They will fit in a place they belong the doctrine of eternal judgment is everywhere in Scripture. There are multiple views of what eternal separation, judgment, hell, Hades, the lake of fire, all the words that are used mean, but all agree that it's a terrible fate that can be avoided. And I'm going to share really quickly, because time is limited, I'm going to share really quickly five of those views. 
So are you ready to go for a little ride? Here's the first view. It's the no-hell view, universalism. And this is a view that comes in several forms, and it includes the idea that some people will be purified for a time until they repent after death and then be saved. So some universalists believe that though there will be a state of judgment for a season, that season will, be puri- it will uh, bring purification and eventually everybody will be saved and none will be damned. And then others believe, the other view is that everyone will be saved right from the beginning, that Jesus paid it all. It doesn't matter what people decide, believe, choose, how they live. In the end, God's gonna save them all. And this view has been rejected by most of Christianity from the beginning, but I will say this, it has been held by a few prominent Christian leaders in early Christianity, one of them being Origen. And Origen is considered a great church father and he believed in universalism. He believed that ultimately, in the end, even though there would be purification and some suffering, there would be salvation for all. So it is a view, though it has been rejected historically. The second view is the Roman Catholic view. And the Roman Catholic view holds the idea of purgatory leading to heaven and hell. And what I mean by that is the Roman Catholic doctrine of purgatory is for people who will end up with God in heaven. It's the idea that there's a place in between where through suffering and purification, God's people are cleansed from the effects of sin so that they can go into heaven without defiling it. It's a place where sin is purged, purgatory. Roman Catholics also believe that those who reject Jesus and refuse to turn from sin will go to judgment and hell. Now, on uh, purgatory, I'll just say this. Um, The idea is, uh, Catholics would say they believe Jesus cleansed our sins. They would say that they believe Jesus' death on the cross was enough to cleanse our sins, but that sin has effects that come to us. And so even though we're forgiven for our sins and the slate is clean, the effect that sin has had on us in our thinking and our body has distorted us and we need to go through a time after death of purification and suffering in order to be made worthy for heaven. So that's the purgatory Roman Catholic view. The third view is the view of an eternal hell of literal fire, worms, and torture and torment. This view is is that all of the language that Jesus and the biblical writers used and, and the authors throughout Scripture, all of it is literal. The fire is literal. The worms and the torture and the torment and the corruption, it's all literal. And it's ongoing. And this view is called ECT, and it stands for Eternal Conscious Torment. And that is a particular view that's held. In fact, most of you that are in this room that if you've, or not most of you, but some of you that are in this room that came from an evangelical type church or were raised you know, in, a, in a denominational church or a non-denominational church and grew up or in Pentecostal church, you probably were taught or, or you believe or have come from a background of eternal conscious torment. The next view is an eternal hell of metaphoric fire, worms, and torture. This view holds that the biblical language is metaphoric or symbolic of what one experiences in the state of being removed from God's presence and being completely self-absorbed. Fire, worms, torture, torment are all metaphors of being consumed, corrupted, and tormented because people are self-consumed. C.S. Lewis described it as a diminishing that you actually lose your humanity over time because you're so full of you and yourself that you just inwardly are continually dying and diminishing and in the end you become a non-entity, okay? And, and that fire, 
is used as a metaphor. And then there is the doctrine, and this is the last one, of an ultimate annihilation. And this, is, this view is told by some in church history and comes in two forms. The first view is that when you die, you sleep until the resurrection, and then you are raised to face judgment. At that point, those who have rejected Christ will be destroyed forever. They'll be wiped out and cease to exist. They will not have an, a, an immortal soul. They'll be annihilated and not tormented for eternity. This is the view of the Seventh-day Adventist church, for instance. The second view is that when a person dies, they will spend some time in Hades or the holding place, uh, being purified for their sins and punished for their sins until the resurrection, and then they'll be judged and annihilated. This is a view that has been held by some prominent Christians at different times in history as well. The great Reformed theologian, who's an amazing writer and theologian, John Stott, believed this particular view. C.S. Lewis said this in The Great Divorce. He's, he's using the idea of the teacher in The Great Divorce, the, the, the book The Great Divorce. He said, the teacher explains our power to choose. There are only two kinds of people in the end. Those who say to God, thy will be done. And those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. All that are in hell choose it. Without that self-choice, there could be no hell. No soul that seriously and constantly desires joy, and in Lewis's vision, joy is selfless, the selfless life of love with God. No one who constantly desires joy will ever miss it. Those who seek find, to those who knock, it is opened. So aren't you glad that we're not ending right there? But, but it is something to really think about and really face, and you'll notice that I didn't uh, tell you what my view is or even what our view is, because I don't know if we have an our view. I, th I think even within our staff, we're like, eh, well, you know. But I will tell you this. Whatever the status is and whatever the state is, it's not good. It's not good. And hell is for the selfish. Hell is, or Hades, or destruction, or whatever, eternal judgment, is for those who have said, I don't want you, God, and I don't want your son, and I don't want what you have to give. I am my own Lord. I am the master of my own destiny. I don't need a savior. I don't need a Lord. And, and so what God does is God says, okay. It's the ultimate reflection of having free will. Okay, I, I'm not gonna force you to love me and follow me and do what I've called you to do. I'm not gonna force you to live as you were created to live, so I'm gonna let you do what you want to do. But you, you can't do what you want to do in my kingdom because my kingdom is filled with those who have selfless love for me and for one another. So you don't, you, you're, you're not compatible, you don't fit. It's not this place where, you know, God's like, yeah, you know, pour, you know, hot fire. And, you know, it's like we, we get this idea, you know, demons up there. Here's the reality. Most of the pictures that we have in our mind of hell and most of what many of us have been taught to believe about hell don't come from the Bible. They come from Dante's Inferno and Middle Age writing. They're pictures that were extrapolated upon by people who wrote about what they thought hell was like with all these chambers and these places. And by the way, if you're putting a vision of hell in your mind, uh, if, you're, if you're basing it upon what somebody who says they died and went to hell experienced and they came back and that's the, the vision of hell that you have, uh, that, that shouldn't be the vision of hell that you have because 
the Bible is where we go for our revelation, and anything extra biblical that doesn't match it should be rejected. Okay, so that, I'll just say that. Which takes me to my last point, and I'm glad we're not staying there. But those who trust Jesus will be rewarded eternally. We believe in a new heavens, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. We believe that God is going to recreate the world and that the curse of sin is going to be removed. We believe that everything that has fallen and broken and everything that has been destroyed and all the death and the sorrow and the war and the disease, all of the things in our world that continually show us a a little glimpse of what hell would be like are going to be banished and forever removed and that God is going to recreate all of creation in a beautiful and incredible way that will astonish us, take our breath away, and fulfill every deep longing that we have as human beings. By the way, you're not going to be a chubby baby with a violin or a harp floating on a cloud. Dang it. We're going to have a work to do. You ever think about that? We're going to be, we're still going to be fulfilling a purpose. By the way, heaven's not going to be a 24-hour, seven-day-a-week, 365, because those measurements of time won't be there, where we're all just in a worship service. Some teach that. We're just going to worship eternally. That's not what the Scripture teaches. Because what the Scripture teaches is that worship is everything that we do when we're in Christ. So for some of you, you're going to be teaching for eternity. Isn't that cool? Like, like many of you in this room are incredibly, yeah, some of you are like, no, that's hell. <laughs> Not that. Fourth graders. <laughs> Middle schoolers, no. Just kidding, just kidding. No, that's not, that's not what I mean. But whatever you're gifted at, good at, what's beautiful to you, whatever means something to you now that you only get a glimpse of and a taste of is going to be multiplied infinitely and you're going to do it for eternity. And you're, by the way, I read recently that some people in the United States think that the depiction, or many people in the United States think that the depictions of hell are much better than the depictions of heaven because the depictions of heaven are going to be boring. I want to tell you something, nothing could be further from the truth. There will never be a second or a breath of boredom in the new creation. Every moment will be filled with purpose, meaning, love, beauty, all of it. So let me read scripture. Revelation 21, 1 through 7, 9 through 11, and 22 through 27. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I also saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God prepared like a bride adorned for her husband. (laughs) There's so much I could say about this. So tempted, but I won't. Anyway, then I heard a loud voice from the throne, a loud voice from the throne. If you've come to our church and you're like, it's too loud in there, heaven's going to make you uncomfortable. (laughs) Then I heard a loud voice from the throne. Look, God's dwelling is with humanity and he will live with them. They will be his people's. And God himself will be with them and will be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Grief, crying, and pain will be no more. Because the previous things have passed away. Then the one seated on the throne said, Look, 
I'm making everything new. He also said, write, because these words are faithful and true. Then he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. We would say, I am the A to the Z. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will freely give to the thirsty from the spring of the water of life. The one who conquers will inherit these things, and I will be his God. He will be my son. Verse 9, then one of the seven angels who had held the seven bowls filled with the seven last plagues came and spoke with me. Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. Do all you, do you all know who the bride, the wife of the lamb is? It's us. That's us. He's making a big deal about us. Like any husband who's seeing his wife arrayed in beauty and splendor, come and look at her. Is she stunning or what? That's what's happening here. He then carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and he showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. That holy city Jerusalem is us. He said, let me show you the bride, the wife of the lamb. And then he showed him the heavenly Jerusalem. Let's continue. Blah, 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 Verse 11, arrayed with God's glory. Her irradiance was like a precious jewel, like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. Verse 22, I did not see a temple in it in the city because the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it because the glory of God illuminates it. And its lamp is the Lamb. It's Jesus. He is the light of the city. He's the Lamb. The nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. Its gates will never close by day because it will never be night there. They will bring the glory and honor of the nations into it. Nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those written in the Lamb's book of life. You know, Julie shared a scripture text earlier. She left, but she shared a scripture text um, when, we were, when she was doing the offering. And, and that text is from the end of 1 Corinthians 15. And it says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. And the reason it says that is because we're going to be, it, all the verses ahead of it say, listen, one day you're going to get a new world and a new body and everything's going to be raised. And because this is your ultimate future, you can work hard today. You can live right today. So I want to end this way. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, what I just read to you, I know some of it is symbolic language. Some of it is language that's beyond our thinking. Maybe for, for some of you in this room, you're not quite sure if that's very appealing to you, but let me assure you, it's everything that you've ever desired and wanted. And in that new creation, you will come into the completion of who God created you to be. And those of you who've experienced great pain in your life and suffering and have even made terrible decisions and have, have sown a, a lot of things that have caused a reaping, a harvesting of, of sadness and you feel like, you know, I'm getting toward the end of my life and what do I have to show? But I love Jesus and I'm, I'm following him now. I want to tell you something. God's going to remake your world. And all your lost potential on this side is going to be realized on that side. 
Some of you like, I, I feel like I have music in me, but I never learned to play an instrument. I feel like I have art in me, but I never became that artist. I feel like I wanted to write. I feel like I, I was supposed to just love people well and comfort and, and, and encourage and build up. All of the things that you, you know, you come to the end of your life and you feel like I never got to do the things I was made to do. And even the people who fulfill a lot of their potential are going to end their life that way. We're all going to end our life feeling like there's got to be more. I didn't get it all done. <laughs> there is more. And you'll have eternity to do it. And it's not going to be wasted, any of it. Amen.